Welcome to Story Comic Presents, where we interview amazing storytellers and artists. This is episode 200. I'm your host, Barney Smith of StoryComic.com, and we're excited to have with us the award-winning and internationally acclaimed Australian singer, songwriter, poet, and writer, Barnaby Smith. Barnaby. Barney. How are you doing? I'm all right. Thanks for that. Uh uh intro that i just can't live up to thank you very much (laughs) but that's but that's literally true though that uh, that is that is everything that you have you have been plus more because you're also a journalist you're also uh um a reviewer and critic as well yeah it is (laughs) it's true you i i did see that i have noticed that you are been in rolling stone you have been also listen to worldwide as as your your singer songwriter you pull up your spotify um and you do have followers in another other parts of the world too so okay. it, you your your career from in the arts is almost like an onion you just peel that back more and more layers and more layers i have been extremely impressed looking at what you've been able to accomplish so far in your career and seeing your expansive list of, of reviews um some of your journalist work plus some of your poetry as well and as i was finding this out then i found you published an album back in 2019 as well you wrote all the songs and you made all the songs so i got tons of questions and i just want to get a deep dive in having learned more about your your career so far but before we kind of get into it i wanted to you know, let the viewers and listeners um, kind of learn more about you as an artist and how you got started. In terms of writing, I um, came out of university. This is in the UK. I mean, 16 or 17 years ago, and I went straight into a career in journalism then. Mm. Uh, I, I, you know, since my teenage years, I was, always in, I was always interested in literature and music. They were sort of my absolute, you know, all-consuming passions from about 15 onwards. Mm. Like a lot of people, there's nothing special about that, I don't think. Um, but then I guess after sort of, I guess an aspect of it was sort of, there was so much, I was covering other people's art so much. Mm. Um, I thought that like, it would be interesting to dive into it myself. Um, with music, I didn't really dabble in songwriting or music making much until about 20, in any serious way, until about 2011 really. I was okay. in a ba- I was in a band in London that didn't go anywhere for a year or two. And then when I came to Australia then, um, I hooked up with a childhood friend and was in a, was in a duo with him for uh, a few years. And then that sort of dissolved and I was sort of got quite a low ebb with music and um, sort of pressed the reset button as it were and started work on what became this album. The premise being that I just wasn't interested in catering to it wasn't interested in any promotion i just was wanted to um make it for myself maybe a couple of close friends family members um and so i just sort of embarked on it you know whenever i whenever time would allow i didn't really take to it with any uh, ambition in mind with it without any objective for a release certainly wasn't interested in um marketing it or anything like that it was very a uh, personal and low-key i wasn't looking for exposure or anything like that but it right. sort of snow. It's um, through a couple of happy accidents 
it did get a bit of interest, but um, more than I ever anticipated. In terms of poetry, I mean, I'm still a very nascent <clears throat> early career developing in that area, despite ha having been doing it for over 10 years. That was it's, that was probably more interesting in how I started doing that in that sort of I just started, I was living in Switzerland at the time in Zurich and oh, wow. in this very bizarre snowy foreign city. And that's, that was when I, that was when I started writing poetry and I can't really put my finger on why it was just sort of, I started sort of, not hearing, but sort of, well, yeah, sort of hearing voices um, that were these sort of capsules of words, and I started writing them down. They were terrible. I would not stand by those at all now. <laughs> I think, uh, yeah, then I wasn't writing anything any good for about four or five years, but but now I've um, I've done a couple of residencies and published a fair bit and uh, have a manuscript for that in the pipeline. Um, so... Yeah, that's the sort of they've sort of those two things, music and writing, have gone alongside each other for a long time, and they are quite different. Um, mm. I think they they both they cater to sort of um, they rely on different parts of your brain, I think, right. and different and, and more more importantly, different aspects of your experience of life. <laughs> yeah. So when you, when you look at it from the perspective of say the uh, the passive reader of poetry or uh, listening to music their impression could say, well, isn't poetry just kind of like lyrics or is there a, a different way to create those two? I'm sure that it is for most people. In fact, mm -hmm. um, a lot of, a lot of the, my favorite musicians, when I read about their process, they do this, they write lyrics um, as poems and then they set them to music. And that is a, a process that absolutely mystifies me. That baffles me. I could absolutely never do that. Um, anyone who can do that successfully is a genius in my book, that um, I can't do that. So um, the process of writing words for music comes in a sort of improvised way. Um, it's always music first, um, and then lyrics come on top of what the musical idea suggests. Um, oh. And um, I don't know if you've seen that Beatles documentary, Get Back, that came out over Christmas. There's one section in that where... Um, they're sort of forming the words for the song something and john lennon says to george harrison um just keep saying just keep singing something over the top of this off of this phrase this musical phrase and uh eventually you'll hit the line that you need that has this certain emotional resonance you wants he wants because the line started out as um it's a famous line of the song attracts me like a cauliflower that became attracts me like no other lover and sort of the process was just keep on sort of uh repeating the nonsense over the top of it and then eventually the line will come and that's closer to what I do than than right. um you know words first yeah right so your so your album the album they came out under your the name Brigadoon so yeah. real quick, where did Brigadoon why why was the the title the the name of yeah your um I know it as a a, a musical a, a movie from the 1950s right. that starred Gene Kelly um and I haven't, I haven't, I still haven't seen it since I was a kid. But I'm pretty sure I should look this up. Actually, I'm pretty sure that the the idea of the film is that there's this sort of town or village in the Highlands of Scotland, I think it is, that only appears only appears 100 years. And there's these two American tourists hiking through Scotland, and they happen to come upon it when it's appeared um, for 100 years, and they go in there. And the character of Gene Kelly sort of falls falls in love with this girl there, and they have this decision to make about whether they stay in this sort of uh, dreamscape of Brigadoon or they come back to real life. Um, and that sort of idea really 
appealed to me. So um, that's the, that's it was named after that movie. Although I think the the sort of folklore of the idea goes back centuries, maybe as well. Mm. And then the title of the album is "The Itch Factor." What was your inspiration behind that? Um, it well, that period where I was living in this quite remote part of New South Wales um, involved a lot of sort of wanting to be somewhere else. A lot of that time, um, it was very isolating and sort of um, very secluded, and I was very much removed from. Um, people and from culture and from society a little bit and it got it got very frustrating at times although it was nice at others um so it was sort of meant to allude to the idea of being just a bit sort of having itchy feet sort of thing or sort of being a bit um uncomfortable in your sort of location and your life your sort of yeah right and you have you have 15 tracks on it and it seems as though like that diamond hand seems to be the the song that is the most listened to do you I think that's just because it got on some playlist somewhere um, okay. in, the, in in America, I think, actually. Um, so I think that explains that one. Yeah, but it's nice that, you know, that, that happened. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we, uh, before we went live, when we we're talking on the air, you had a pretty interesting story behind how you recorded this album. Yeah. Yeah. We lived for about six years. We lived in this cottage. Uh, in the hills um, in northern New South Wales, about half an hour inland from a very famous town called Byron Bay. And um, down the back of this property, there was a shack, uh, a very crudely constructed shack that was built by the person who lived in this place before we did. And um, I just turned it into a little studio, very, very um, primitive and lo-fi. It couldn't have been more rustic um you know, I, I couldn't i couldn't record on nights when it rained because i had a corrugated roof and that would be too noisy there's lots of insect noises and possum noises that made it onto the record that are still there um oh, you, awesome. you, you asked me before i came on you asked me about snakes i had a couple of snake encounters in that shack as well um and you know it was just very um yeah you're sort of in the wilderness it was fun it was right. good yeah yeah with the tracks here, as you kind of mentioned before, it's beautiful. For those who listen, go to you know, go on your Spotify, go on you listen to your music, and and definitely listen to Brigadoon. And because Barnaby, when I listen to this, there's it's almost like there's this dream esque folk music about it. Like there's this, it's and it was very engaging to listen to. That's um, it's. It's really nice to hear that you think it's something for everyone because my instinct is that it's very much not for everyone. It's very sort of um, it's very a sort of a its own thing, not and not for everyone um, because it's because it was recorded in such a amateurish you could say way. Um, I worry that it's not sort of smooth enough for most people. It's it's rough around the edges. Um, there's some tracks on there that are quite. They're not really songs. They're just sort of sonic mm. statements. Yeah. Um, it's very long. <laughs> um, some of it's very miserable. Um, but um, also I really appreciate you saying it's beyond genre as well because though I think I am rooted in a certain tradition or sort of, you know, there's lots of musicians who I was influenced by, um, that was sort of, I was never wanted to, I never wanted it to be sort of, you know, um, right. one, one single genre. So thank you for those yeah. nice comments. 
Yeah. <laughs> I mean, when I was listening to it, like my eight year old walks in the room and she thought it was nice. It wasn't, you know, my mother-in-law walks in the room. She thought, oh, this is like, there wasn't anything about it that was, it made listeners to listen more to it basically, which is what is like the drawing factor of an artist is that you want people to pay attention to it. So that was, that was definitely something that I really enjoyed. Um, I've never put, I've, to be honest, I've never put an album on repeat before, but this was the first time I did because it was, it was, it was easy and loving. Also what I loved about it is because compared to the story behind your album is great. As you said, where you recorded it, put me in there listening to it being recorded where other albums are like, this was in a studio. The very fact that it wasn't in a sterile studio made mm-hmm. it more engaging to listen to it because you're listening for things, as you said in the about track. So, yeah, well, <laughs> those are things I've never really heard before. People say to me, because um, like I say, I'm a bit like off the grid in terms of, um, <laughs> in terms of music, music scenes, community, even online. So to hear that is really nice. Thank you. Thank you very much for that. For that. <laughs> for that. Uh, yeah. Uh, it's also, I mean, it came out two years ago now, so I've, um, a lot, had a lot of time to think about it, and um, I, whenever I go back and listen to it, I actually think, oh, you know, that was all right. That wasn't too bad. And there's heaps of songs on there. It's too long, probably, for a lot of people. Yeah. And um, but I think that everyone I stand by, I think, which is nice. Um, yeah. So yeah, thanks for the thanks for that. So what you need, so what you need to do, Burnaby, is you need to record a second album and yeah. do it in a different garden shed. I had one. It's, sure. it's, it's, yeah, it's happening now. I'm halfway yeah. through. Yeah. yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah, and have you should have accompanying like photos of what the uh, the garden shed is. So then that's I, a, that's that's a good idea. I should have. Yeah, 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 yeah absolutely. <laughs> that, some of the best part about is listening. As I say, is is knowing the source of where the album is being recorded makes it. E- makes it even more exciting to be a, to be a part. Cause you feel like you're part of the project. Yeah. The listener yeah. is the second half of the art. So it makes it. Absolutely. Absolutely. You're absolutely right. But it, it took me quite a while to sort of realize that like the album had already been out for a while before I realized that like the, the, the sort of story and the setting behind it was part of it. You know, um, I was sort of like ignored that aspect of it, but after it had been out for a while, I sort of tapped into that when I was trying to, make very very small efforts to promote it and it did gain traction like you say it was it was sort of sort of part of the overarching narrative of the whole thing people seem to sort of respond to it yeah because i don't really play live um perform so i was sort of sort of relying on those sort of weird selling points for it yeah right yeah that's good so i want to talk a bit about as well is that you the other aspect of what you do from an arts perspective, Barnaby, is you are a journalist and you're a viewer and a critic. And you've had your stuff you've had your stuff on Rolling Stones, The Guardian, Sydney Morning Herald, looking at your bio, you've you've put stuff out everywhere. I wanted to do a little bit of dive on that to ask you how different is it for you to create art as compared to looking at art through a critical lens? Um, well, there's one crucial distinction between the two things, one obvious one, and that is that all that criticism and that journalism and that writing is my professional life. 
it's mm. sort of um, I do that for a living. Um, and this music and the other the poetry stuff, I just do as sort of an outlet for some other part of me. I don't really know what to call it. I, I hesitate with the word creative quite a bit, um, but it's something else. Um, and they're vastly different. I know it's probably not that healthy to have to, to, comp to comp compartmentalize it quite that much. Um, and I can't really see any crossover, to be honest, between how I write about other people's art and and my own production of what you might call art. Um, so it's a difficult question to answer. And, you know, it's a very, it's a much drier process, um, composing criticism. Right. Um, it involves a lot of, a lot more hard work rather than sort of improvisation, obviously. Um, right. And I have to think about it further, but I can't really, to be honest, I can't really see much crossover. They just, like I said before, they engage completely different parts of, of, of a person's um, faculties and modes of expression. Right. Um, yeah. Because, you know, you, you talk to one of the best pieces of advice people will say, if you're, if you're going to write a book, read mm. books. If you're going oh, yeah. to, if you're going to make art, go to art museums, learn, like see other artists, seeing other, as you look at something through a critical eye, have you been able to then be inspired in the sense to say, like maybe on your notepad or something like that was kind of cool how that person did that. I'm going to, kind of keep this aside a bit yeah. and maybe utilize that as, cause you have the unique occupation to look at things professionally from a critical eye on a field of work that also inspires you. It's a difficult, this is a difficult thing to, to formulate. Um, if I'm studying someone else's work and then I see something that is might be useful for me, that happens very occasionally. The, the more common the more common thing is that if I'm deep into someone else's work and, and something hits me, it sort of just goes in to my subconscious. And when I when I it comes around to to writing something for myself, whether it's poetry or music, it comes out automatically. Um, it's not a, I don't really make notes or anything like that. It sort of just goes in. It's sort of like a filter. It comes in and goes out. I don't I don't look for things to sort of transfer from one to the other. But I mean, of course, the more you read and the more you listen to, the more you're going to um, it's going to feed into your own work, um, and uh, so, but that doesn't necessarily involve criticism. You know, I do read a lot and I listen to a lot of music, um, and but that doesn't really. And then again, that's a third thing, as distinct from criticizing something. The work of a critic is a very fine art that is evolving a lot um, in response to the way culture has changed as well. Um, so it's not what it was about twenty or thirty years ago. It's it's a different thing. Um, and so it's sort of more structured and formulaic than it once was. And that sort of makes it less of a creative process to write a review these days, mm. maybe. Um, you know, if, I, if I'm get, given a book of poetry to review, reading that book is very helpful for forming my own ideas about writing my own poetry, but it doesn't sort of directly inform it very much. Right. It does, it's sort of... Um, it's just it's sort of giving me more context for my own work right. rather than rather than you know affects it directly. So so talk a bit about that where you you mentioned that the formula has changed over time. Was that something just from a cultural evolution of critics view things, or is this was this a can you pinpoint a a time where it says we need to start doing things like this for X reason? 
Um, in the last 10 years, I'd say that um, the art of the review has changed quite a lot, not necessarily for the worse. Um, if we take music, for example, I'm finding that um, it's really hard to find a bad review of something, um, something that really gives something a good kicking um, for, for, for multiple reasons. It, I find that if, unless you're sort of a huge band who can stand to have a bad review, like your U2 or something, bad reviews don't really get written or published these days. Um, and while I understand that you don't want to, you know, push more negativity into the world, I think that the sort of um, the radar of of criticism and uh, cultural values is sort of put off by the fact that there's all this sort of everything's wonderful being put into the world. And I also think it's sort of a, a disservice to certain works to just blindly say they're amazing. Um, it's actually sort of more useful for that artifact of culture for it to be considered in a way that, that can be criticised in a respectful and sort of um, in, in valid way. And also I found recently that just the review, just reviews generally aren't things that um, get clicks anymore, really. People are more interested in what people have said, um, on, whether it's on social media or in public or, or something like that. Um, mm. It's more sort of uh, reviews aren't going to generate clicks, basically. And um, whereas those sort of news articles that um, talk about someone saying something salacious are the th other things that sort of draw people in. There are many outlets that still do this, but they don't make money. So, um, yeah, if that makes sense. Yeah. And so I'm very curious about this as well is we always hear the word critic. We always hear the word reviewer. Are these synonymous or are these com two completely different things? Ooh, that's a really good question. <laughs> um, wow. Um, I'd say they probably are close to being synonymous. Um, there's, uh, it also de might depend on what realm you're talking about. There's this sort of very hallowed scholarly idea of literary criticism that exists in the books world that sort of feels like it's elevated beyond reviewer. Um, because in literature anyway, the word criticism or might um, invoke people like Barthes or Foucault or the sort of um, highfalutin um, theorists. So criticism can represent those people, whereas in the world of music, you're just writing about, you know, um, Kings of Leon album that came came out last week, and that's not quite as um, recherche. So I don't know. Uh, that's a really interesting question, one I probably should think about more. But in the world of music, in the world of music, they're probably they're probably interchangeable, but less right. so less so than maybe the arts and books. Yeah. As you know, we're we I like to lovingly say at the time of this recording that we are in the pre-post pandemic world right now. And <laughs> <laughs> did you see during during COVID how much was the review work in the in the crick how how was that affected while things were closed down? Um not it wasn't too bad for me anyway. Um obviously I couldn't go to anything to review, but I didn't do much of that anyway. Um, I was quite fortunate, and I think that a lot of people in my shoes were in that um, the publications that I wrote for were very generous. Um, they made sure that their freelance contributors kept on having work. They just pivoted their they pivoted their contents to sort of um, focus on things that were being presented online. For example, they allowed sort of um, 
art articles and work that was more history based, historical focused, um, because there was nothing happening. Um, but you know, certain books and people were still producing in that time. Books and albums still came out, so it wasn't it wasn't that bad um, in terms okay. of for criticism. Yeah, for me anyway. Yeah, you do uh, you do reviews for you do it for like art shows. You do, I've seen you do it for films. You do it for books. Do you have? Is there a certain thing that you like to pivot towards more more often than not as a as a medium? Um, I haven't been writing about music now for quite a while. Uh, it sort of dried up for for various reasons, and I really miss that. Um, mm. I wish I could sort of have an outlet for writing um, in depth about music again. Uh, and I, I really sort of have felt that void. But um, I'm actually finding that I'm I really enjoy writing about movies um, okay. more than I, that's relatively new for me. Only in the last maybe five years I've started doing that, and I really really enjoy doing it because I've got I've got an outlet called a, a magazine called Metro over here that is all about Australian and New Zealand film with a great editor and you're allowed to go in all sorts of directions with it. Um, and so it's a very enjoyable experience to write a two or 3000 word essay about a movie where you've got free reign to sort of take it into whichever, whichever, you know, areas of discussion feel relevant to you. So yeah, writing about movies has been quite a rewarding thing recently. Yeah. And, and so uh, the, the other piece too is like, I've always been curious about this is how much do you have to be objective about it or subjective? Like, have you been in a position where you're like, I really like this movie, but I know it's so bad or anything like situation like that. Or like, you is, is it like some sort of like journalistic integrity where you say, how much of it do you have to like whittle down and say, this is objectively bad as compared to subjectively good, I guess. Hmm. Not something I probably face too much because I'm in, a, I'm in a position to pick and choose what I okay. want to want to cover. Um, so I don't really have to, if, if something, if I like something, I think I can probably come up with a way of arguing that it's objectively good, if that makes okay. sense, rather than, rather than saying, I like this, but I know it's bad. I think that I would, I would, I would sort of say, this is good and this is why it's good. And um, <laughs> that's sort of um, an objective way of looking at it. Um, so I think that that's the, the approach I take. The other angle to that is that I'm, I'm very hesitant to, to use the first person pronoun in criticism. Okay. Um, okay. I, think, I think I sort of arrived at criticism a long time ago now, and I had a couple of editors when I was young who really hated that, who sort of like mm. um, said, you can do that in features and you can do that in other sorts of writing, but in a review, you don't put yourself in it at all. Um, and so that's, I mean, that's become quite common now. Possibly, and that's no bad thing, but I'm sort of, because of that sort of learning I had back then, I'm sort of hesitant to, to, to use the word I in right. in a review. Um, so it's an awkward one, only if I absolutely have to. Um, right. Yeah. Yeah. So we have, you know, as you know, in the world of the arts, you know, pick the pick the medium, whether it be music or books or, or comics or uh, any types of... What advice would you give to a creator who they have somebody, you know, kind of like send them an email and say, Hey, listen, I'm putting out a book now. Can I send you a copy of it? And can you review it for me? What would be your advice to someone who's never done reviews? What advice would you give to them to say, how, what do I need to summarize in a paragraph or two of, to say something positive about 
this. Or if they can't, if they come back and say, this is bad, I don't want to say anything good. But, you know, you're a nice person and all, and I know we've, you know, we've shared ice cream, but I can't write anything <laughs> good about this book. Or what would be your advice for a situation like that? The advice from the side of the, the reviewer, the critic. Yeah. I mean, like I said earlier, if something was really bad, I mean, it's very, it's very rare that you'd, if, would you'd be contacted. Well, it's not, actually, it's not that rare. It happens plenty. But if to be contacted directly by the person who made it, there's often a, right. a PR, a PR, or something, someone, a person right. in the middle to do that. Um, there's so many, so many things, so many things go into that question. You know, the finance, <laughs> the, the finances of it. If you're getting paid to do it, if you're getting paid to do it, then you need to do it. I'd say okay. <laughs> um, a lot of, <laughs> and you need to find a way of you know getting your judgment across whilst being respectful and nice. You gotta, you gotta make sure it's um any criticism you give something is is well conceived, well worked out, and expressed in a way that is um, makes sense and is respectful. Uh, I guess. Um, um. <laughs> what would you like? It's, say it's a friend. It's, it's a friend of yours who just did an indie publishing book. You, uh, right. They just put out a book on Amazon, or or you know, and they say, "Hey, can you? I want to put a blurb on the back of my book. Can you give me something?" Oh yeah, I'd probably do that. I'd probably yeah. do that. I mean, I'm in a, a position where you know I'm actually the I actually run a magazine for a writers' festival in Australia um, called uh, Byron Writers' Festival. The magazine's called Northerly. So if that exact scenario happened to me, I'd be it'd be easy for me to say yes, of course. Um, if you want to promote something for your book, can you write something for us? That would be a way of promoting it, or we can run an extract or something like that. So I'm in a position where I can help people like that without having to make a judgment on the work, and I do all the time. I do all the time. If I was just a freelance writer, and this is the case with music now, a lot of the time, someone gets in touch with me and they say, can you help us out with coverage of this? Can you review this somewhere? Uh, even if I really, really like it, which has happened plenty of the last week, I mean, I don't have an outlet at the moment for music writing. So often my excuse is um, really interesting, like this a lot, but I don't have anyone to write for at the moment. Um, so if that changes, I'll let you know. Um, so, I mean, I can only speak for myself. I'm sure other people who might be in that position have much more um, uh, outlets and much more opportunity to publish. Um, but for me, um, there's a few ways out of that scenario. Right. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so with your day job being a critic and then also then, then also, you know, you're making your music and, and writing your poetry. How, how are you able to, kind of split up your day doing these things um well my day job is actually i now have a sort of proper day job um, i'm not freelance anymore i work part-time as a sub-editor for a, a magazine now um so that's sort of the baseline of income uh and everything else i do comes on top of that which is in some ways is good in that it means i can take less work that i don't want to do um, i can say no a bit more as i have done um and i can focus on my own projects um in terms of the structure of you know the day or week this is, it's the same as it ever was, you know, um, if it's not raining, I'll go out into the garage <laughs> and, um, try and record in an, e of an evening. Um, and if it's raining, I'll do some, some writing instead, um, or whatever. Um, so it's sort of grabbing an hour or two here and there in the evenings and being disciplined about it. The discipline side of thing is hard because often yes. you just don't want, you just don't want it for various reasons. Um, yeah. especially with a job, with a job now. Uh, I think it's a pretty common story. People have to sort of really make themselves 
find the time at the expense of lots of other things to get their own projects going and find momentum with them. So I'm in that boat, I think. Right. Yeah. Right. So, 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 so Barnaby, if people want to follow you, follow your work, what's the best place they can go to? Um, um, in terms of the music, the Bandcamp page is a good one. Um, I do have a Twitter account that is a. So, so Barney, Barnaby, people can find your Twitter handle is is at a Barnaby MS, and that yes. will be in the show notes. And the work you've done on there, they you have on there, I, you have on there already is like your Brigadoon stuff is on there. Um, you have all of your links that you've had for your with your some of your articles is on there as well. Yeah. Yeah. It is a lot, actually. You got a lot of, yeah, you got a lot of stuff there. Cool. <laughs> the yeah, Bandcamp the, the bank link is brigadoon.bandcamp.com as well. And that's where you can um, purchase <laughs> uh, right. said, said record we were talking about. Yeah. Yep. So, yeah, so people can find you on Twitter. People can also find you at brigadoon.bandcamp.com. And also, anybody's interested that you do have a lot of your reviews are available also on the Australian book review.com. Also you have at the art guide, Australia mm. uh, has a lot of your more recent articles on there as well. Yeah. So very exciting stuff. So listen, so Barnaby, um, you have to come back on when you have your second album come out. Oh, cool. I'd love to. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. 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 It would be it amazing. Might be a while. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you 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 got you got the shed you've been making it so yeah. yeah and then yeah absolutely cool well this has been so fun Barnaby talking with you I'm so I'm so happy that we've been able to connect me too I'm really really grateful that um, you got in touch and I was really honoured to be involved it's the first time I've done a podcast so thanks very much. An extremely, all right, hang on, let me edit this part out though. Extremely, that's not even a word. <laughs> oh. <laughs> all right, 20, uh, third, I think it was like 20 minutes, 30 in there. All right, um, 